Well, we're taking a little break from our um, series. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount series, which is, give me one second here as I mess with electronics. There we go. Um, we've been in a series on the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and we're taking a little break f- from it today for Mother's Day. And um, as we were talking and thinking about this day coming up, my wife said to me, she said, you know, I, I, oh, I said to her, I said, hey, honey, maybe, what, what would you think about sharing uh, a little bit on Mother's Day? And she said, oh, I, you know, I don't know, That's, you know. And, um, and I said, well, maybe just a little bit. We could do kind of an interview thing. And she's like, okay, just for like five minutes. And then we started talking about it. And we started talking through some of the questions that maybe, you know, we'd discuss. And, and all of a sudden I realized, okay, maybe 15 minutes, you know. And then we went over it yesterday and I said, honey, I may not get to preach this morning. <laughs> and that would be all right. So please help me welcome everybody, my wife, Holly Packing. So, Holly, <laughs> because not everybody, you know, has gotten the chance to get to, to know you a little bit, you want to tell us just a little bit about your story, in particular your journey as a mom, and there are a lot of young moms out here, and so, yeah. Can you make sure I have this close enough? Yes. Um, well, Glenn and I, I got married at 22. And I was 23. was 23. Um, and we waited a few years to have kids, and had our first about four years later, after we got married, and... So kind of a general summary is that I've had four kids in seven years. So it's been a lot of being pregnant and nursing and um, just had our fourth almost a year ago now. So if you don't see me that often, I'm usually in the back with a baby. Um, and yeah, it's been, an, it's been an amazing journey. I think when we first had our first, um, I'm kind of the type of person who loves to research everything and want to know the right answer. and and really wanted a formula for how we could raise our kids and um, tried something and felt like this is very stressful for me and for my baby and ended up kind of laying down what I thought was the right answer to just um, listening to the Lord and relaxing and trusting some of my natural intuition. Um, So we had Sophia, who's eight now, and then um, 20 months later, um, after she was born, we had Nora. Mm -hmm. And then um, I have had a couple miscarriages pretty much every other child, so that was kind of difficult to walk through, um, especially the second one where we were out of the country, and anyway, another story, but, um, and then we had our third three years after, Nora, who's our daughter, our second, and he's a boy, and kind of wasn't sure, you know, where we wanted to go with our family after that, and how many kids we wanted, and along came Jane, number four, so that kind of settled that. (laughs) We were waiting on the Lord. And And so there she was. (laughs) Um, I think there's just been a lot of different different voices, as I'd mentioned. And um, I've been so grateful for so many in our community and specifically a couple, um, the Clarksons, who are part of our congregation, who've um, really poured into Glenn and I and Mm. talked to us about Um, having a vision for our family and looking at our specific puzzle and who we are and and, um, just so grateful for their godly wisdom for planting seeds of of purpose for our Mm -hmm. family and where we wanted to go and um, one of the things we've talked about is just you know there's a there's a kind of 
uh, selfishness that begins to die when you get married. You know, and all of you that are married, you know this, you know. But the thing about the selfishness that dies when you get married is there's still another human being that you can reason with. So when, when they're asking for things, you can say, well, okay, I don't know about that. Not, you know, and you can kind of have this back and forth conflict resolution sort of thing. But selfishness comes, to, we, we talk about this all the time, where selfishness kind of comes to its full end when you have kids because there's no reasoning with a screaming baby, you know. Yeah, yeah there's definitely a certain amount of dying to yourself when you get married and you, you know, have to, there's a give and take in working through things. Um, but... For me, it's been nothing compared to those demands of, you know, you can't yeah. decide whether you're going to change a diaper or, well, I mean, you could, I guess, but, <laughs> <laughs> but feed them. And there's so many demands and needs. And yeah. I think throughout my day, especially now with, with four, there's lots of, mommy, I need, will you get me water? Will you play with my, play with me with my trucks? Will you help me do this school? Will you, and there are a lot of moments where I just feel like I, I can't do it. I can't meet all these needs. Um, frequently, when Glenn comes home, I'll say, "Here." Uh, yes, <laughs> definitely that. Um, there was one day right after oh, we had Sophia, and I thought, "Okay, you know, it's a bit stressful, but it's okay. This is our first child. We're doing okay." And I came home from work, and Holly goes, "Here," and she walks out the door. And I said, where, where, where are you going? Like, is this over? Or you know. <laughs> true <laughs> like I can't handle this crying um, but and the fourth has kind of been over definitely so this has been probably I'm definitely one of one of the hardest years that I've had and um, I think I've dealt with a lot of anxiety and um, just a lot of pressure from the circumstances of raising four kids and um, before maybe, you sorry yeah. before you get into the yeah. talk about the pressure or the expectation of mothers of, oh, they should be able to, you know, do it all, and yet the freedom that comes from saying, you know, you can't. I I don't know about you, but I think our culture definitely sends a message that um, we as mothers should be able to be, you know, beautiful and working out and eating well and taxing our children and educating them and discipling them and wearing all these hats where, and to me, it just feels impossible most days to, to be able to do that. And I'm the kind of person that tends to be idealistic. And so I hold all these ideals very high that I want to, to do everything perfectly and it's just not possible. And, um, so for me, this has been a season of really crying out to the Lord and, and asking for help and feeling very, very desperate and not being able to just, I think in the past I might have been able to just buckle down and say, I can do it. I can muscle mm-hmm. through and I just have not been able, I've not been able to do it. And there's been many days where I've, you know, been just down and teary and um, a friend of mine, Joanna, reminded me of the hymn that goes, um, the line says, Lord, I need you every hour. I need you. And I think that's been playing in my head a lot. And I've really, really cried out in desperation for the Lord to, hmm. to, to for me to feel him present in my life. So let's go to the, you know, the next question kind of naturally here is talk about some of the challenges that moms face, maybe from your perspective, and then also kind of speaking on behalf of a lot of moms with young kids and, you know. Some of those challenges. How? Yeah. yeah go ahead. I think when I talk to moms, especially young ones, um, the common 
thing that I hear is that um, probably loneliness and feeling just very overwhelmed. Um, I think for those that are with their kids all day, um, you, you might want to get out and want to be with people and want to feel like you're really living in this community, but with the needs and demands and what you might feel is best for them, for them to sleep and to get what they need, um, you're sort of choosing that path. And, um, and so, and then what goes along with that is the feeling of being overwhelmed with just kind of like I mentioned before, so many tasks, um, so much to do and... Competing ideals, like you hold all these different ideals because it's not just culture that says you should be a certain way, but you have this desire to want to be, you know, but then realizing that some of these ideals might fall to the ground. Exactly, yeah. Um, a wise mentor said to me, you know, you can, like I said, you can only hold so many at the same time and some of them are going to have to fall. And just, I think for me, I've had to ask the Lord every day, like, what is it that you want me to do today? There's, there's no way that I can figure this out on my own and um, just show me what it is that you would have me do today. How, how do you think, like, as a, as a church community, I mean, I really believe one of the things that church is meant to be is it's meant to flow in opposition to a culture that tells us we can make it alone and on our own. And, and, and church is kind of the, the way that we say, no, actually, this isn't how God designed us. So, so lots, of, lots of you guys out here today, you're not moms, and, and, and that's great, that's fine, you know. Um, but, but you're thinking here, you're, you're listening to this, and, and you're wondering, okay, so what does this mean for me? I'm a single person, or I'm, you know. Um, how, how does a community kind of rally around moms? Uh, and we, you know, we've certainly seen some of that. And... Mm-hmm. Um, I think something that I've experienced is with many of you who are single or young marrieds or wiser women who are empty nesters, for those of us who are, are a little more tied to the home with, with our kids, um, I've, I think I've, I've tried to invite people into my life to just to walk with me, to, to join in my chaos, to join in the, literally, in the mess, <laughs> literally. And yeah. recently I had a, another friend who said, Holly, I really like coming to your house because I just, I feel relaxed and you don't have a, you know, it's not you know, all clean and put away. And I she just basically feel the freedom said, to, our house to, is a, your house is a mess and I like that. <laughs> I thought, well, okay, good. This is good. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, I just encourage you moms to, um, to, to let others into your, into your, to your journey, into your phase of life. And um, for me, that's partially, especially during the days, the only way that I can really see other people and be with mm-hmm. others. Um, and then I also think some of the, just the small moments that I remember in different day, on different days are, you know, someone dropping by with a Starbucks. That can be the biggest ray of sunshine in, on a day, just depending on how that day's going. And um, so I think just thinking of those little ways to, to come in. And um, I think it can be in, in the form of, you know, young moms asking and then other people thinking, too, of, mm-hmm. you know, what are, what are little ways that I could just bless a mom you today? you got a couple of stories you wanted to... Oh, yeah. Um, you guys saw Evan Riedahl up here, and Evan and Karen are on staff with us and just an amazing, wonderful couple. And Glenn has traveled a little bit more this spring, and um, they frequently come and help me with the kids. I've just felt like I don't know how I can manage on my own <laughs> with Glenn gone. And um, it just so happened that the last time Jane was sick, she's been sick on and off for months. And, 
And this last time I thought, certainly she cannot get sick again and it cannot snow again. And both of them happened, <laughs> of course. Um, but Karen was stay just stayed up with me one night. Um, I was just so emotionally drained and fatigued. And just having that emotional support, just of someone being there. Um, sorry. It was just amazing have her there, so I think well, no, it's, it's, I mean, I think that's the hard thing with, with all of community. For church to really be a real community, it requires a tremendous amount of vulnerability. And the, the, the truth, we, you know, we come in here on Sundays, all of us, this is, this, is, this is not just a mom thing, this is all of us, and we feel like we need to show that we're put together, you know. But um, I was having coffee a couple weeks ago with a psychologist who teaches at Fuller Seminary. And I promise it wasn't a therapy session, but it sure feel, felt like it after a while. But he was, he was explaining to me how in order for humans to, to attach, thank you, Martha, oh, thank you. in order for humans to kind of attach and to bond to one another, uh, that there has to be this, this feeling of safety to be vulnerable, to, to let others in. And, uh, and, and I think all of us, you know, I mean, it's, it's uncomfortable. It took us several months to realize that maybe part of these feelings were related to something postpartum-ish, you know? And that's another thing that in culture, we don't talk about that. It's like, you have a baby, you love your baby, and everything's happy. And of course we love our children, but, but um, sometimes there are, there are very difficult uh, days, and being able to let others into that is what allows the love of Christ to flow uh, through others, you know? Yeah, I definitely think with just so much going on as I've chosen to be vulnerable. I've felt so much more connected to, to people around us and mm. our community. And um, I think I've struggled with not wanting to be negative and, you know, when you sh I just wanting to be positive and encouraging and, um, and not to want to say every time asks you, someone asks you how you're doing, well, yeah, I'm feeling that. <laughs> I've kind of felt like that this year, honestly, but... Um, tried to be joyful in the midst of that. But um, I do think, yeah, the vulnerability piece has created just more of a dimensional, dynamic friendship with so many people. Just And then people will respond with, yeah, I've, I've dealt with that too. I've struggled with mm -hmm. those kinds of feelings. And so I think there has definitely been a feeling of closeness. And just another quick story about the community element. Um, um, Lisa Beck might be in here today. Yeah. And... Um, she came to us in December and said, okay, you guys, there's this movie, Les Mes, that's out, and you need to see it. And I was like, oh, I, you know, I feel like I can't do anything. I can't go anywhere at night. Jane has never taken a bottle or a pacifier. And so that has just been, you know, she's right here all the time. And so Lisa said, Holly, she's not going to starve. I can do this. I can, I can be with them for three or four hours while you guys go out and that was just such a blessing just to, sometimes you almost need someone to step in and say, no, like, just go out. I will help you. And so anyway, I just have that memory stuck in my mind of what a, what a blessing that was at that point, just to get out and get my mind away from what's always in front of me. So, so in the midst of all this, what are some of the joys you'd say, you know, the, mm -hmm. the moments where you see kind of the Lord, yeah. the joys as a mom? I think I've, I've always been, I was always kind of a baby person, so I was very excited to have a baby, and I've enjoyed all the little baby cuddles and crawls and first steps and, and all of that. Um, but I think, like, as the kids have gotten older, I've 
found that I've loved reading with them, that that's probably my favorite thing, that we can do that consistently. Um, and just especially Nora and Sophia, now six and eight, um, just the things that they say and the things they think of and the conversations that we have based on what we're reading, it's just such a springboard for amazing conversation about life. And in my fogginess, I don't know that I would come up with that on my own. And so I'm just so grateful for those those moments in the day. And something I've thought about recently is that as we continue to read books like The Chronicles of Narnia and Anne of Green Gables and different kind of character building gifts, I feel like, and Glenn's involved in this too, that we have, we have these sort of mutual friends that we can refer back to. Oh, you know how um, Anne says this. And, you know, and so I, I feel like as we go on with life that it's like we have these friends journeying with us through books and I just love that. Mm, that's awesome. What, um, from your conversations with moms who are at the tail end of raising their kids or who have raised their kids, mm-hmm. from your conversation with older moms, what, what is the one thing they've said to you that we can distill to a lot of younger moms, younger parents, you know, about, um, you know, that young moms need to keep sight of, I guess, yeah. What's the one thing young moms need to keep sight of? That, that older moms are saying, yeah. hey. I know. think when I ask um, more seasoned moms that question, usually it comes to at some point that they encourage me to, to truly know and know the heart of my kids. Um, that regardless of maybe as opposed to focusing purely on behavior, which of course, yes, you need to have your kids obey, um, but that you know, as they leave your home, more than anything that you know, they've, They've maybe had looked back on times that they've loved or times that they regret when they haven't necessarily tended their child's heart. And so I think, that, yeah, that's what I hear. And you'd mentioned one other thing about, and in contrast, so being, connecting with their heart as opposed to managing behavior, which, by the way, is a huge thing, isn't it? I mean, that's, that even plays into our relationship with God. Um, because I think sometimes we have this concept that all God wants out of us is right behavior, um, when really what God does for us in Christ is to set us in right relationship. Uh, adoption is at, the co- is at the heart of the gospel to say, I've made you a son, I've made you a daughter, and yes, you're going to grow up in this, but you're going to grow up in love in this. And um, I mean, I think, I think you can spend a lot of time managing behavior and you get, you get children who kind of robotically do the thing, but in their hearts are distant um, from you. And I know there's no formulas and no guarantees in this, but, but we, I think what people have told us is, you know, place some attention on this, but also connecting with their heart as opposed to um, tasks or sort of, you know, accomplishing a whole lot of tasks. Mm-hmm. A question that I, I ask myself now and that I, I probably will continue to ask myself is, you know, what, do my, what would my kids say about me if someone asked them, what, what does my mom do, or what is, she, you know, what is she like? And I think, you know, at the end of their time at home with us, if, if all my kids said was, well, she washed my clothes, she cooked, she kept the floor clean, um, she told me what to do, and she managed my tasks, and if it was very task and work driven, that would, that would be difficult for me. I would, I would hope that you know, I want them to remember, of course, those things have to be done to, to have a manageable home, but um, I would hope that they would say to me that I knew them, that I looked in their eyes, that we talked, that I challenged them to think about ideas, challenged them 
to read, to, to grow. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, one of the reasons we structure dinner groups as kind of the core thing that we do at New Life Downtown, you know this, you've heard me say this a hundred times, but on Sundays we gather at Jesus' table, and that's how we remember we're part of the family of God. And then during the week we gather at each other's tables to let that family thing sort of extend. And um, I, I think the goal with all of this is not to say, okay, hey, this is one demographic of New Life Downtown. It's like, yeah, we got moms, and then we got dads, and then we got, you know. And, and we, are, we are so segmented, you know, with all of this um, that, that really a life-giving, healthy community takes everybody. It takes everybody to, to, to help um, and to be part of it. I was reading a, a piece just... Uh, earlier this week about how even the nuclear family is not just the nuclear family or the traditional family. You know, like we tend to think that it takes get the nuclear family, get the homes right, and then communities will be right. The truth is it works backwards too. That if the community is not right, then the families can't become the families that are healthy. You know what I mean? So so part of what we're saying uh, this morning too is thank you for being the kind of community that allows us to be the kind of family that God has called us to be. And may we continue to be that kind of community to one another so that this kind of living is possible. Any final thoughts, babe? Um, I guess just one last thought. Um, I kind of mentioned this earlier, but I've been grateful to so many in our community, so many older, seasoned um, families and mothers and parents for us that have just... um, encouraged us and helped us to to encourage us to have a vision for our family and to to say to us that we have our own unique puzzle and each of you do too and so um i just encourage you to um just ask the lord what it you know for your puzzle we can't compare to other families as to what we should be doing or not doing and there's so many choices and ways we can spend our time and so I think it's, it's been easy for me to say, well, oh, look what they're doing or they're doing. I need to be doing all this stuff. And, um, but just really, I think Glenn and I have been in a season of asking the Lord to show us, you know, for us and our family, like, who are we and mm-hmm. what do we need to be focusing our time on? And mm-hmm. um, just asking the Lord to really give us a vision for, for our family. And I think it's easy to just be a responder, especially when you have young kids, to, to respond, respond. But then I think it's then one day you'll say, who are we? What are we doing? And if we aren't proactive in thinking about um, that, what we are doing and the steps we are taking are leading somewhere, and is it is it where we want to go? Yeah. Amen. Well, thanks, babe, for your vulnerability and honesty and for sharing this morning. And to every mother in the room, thank you. Thank you for all the countless sacrifices behind closed doors, the the many tears, the many nights, the many hours of feeling overwhelmed and alone. Thank you. Now let's all honor our mothers. Two things. Some of you are feeling like, okay, well, how do I get connected with some of these mentor moms uh, Martha Cole, Lisa McQueen, among others, have started dinner groups for um, moms uh, raising kids. And, and, and so, again, part of the dinner group thing is so that we don't just, you know, narrowly kind of say, well, I'm a single, so I'm just going to be here. But the, the idea is that we all kind of 
come together as, as a community. So you might want to think about some of these groups. Check them out again in the lobby. Uh, don't live life alone. I think that's one of, the, one of the themes you can hear coming through this. Wh- whoever you are, whatever stage you are in life, don't live life alone. This isn't how God has made it to be. Don't believe the lie that you should be able to live life alone. Understand that God sets the lonely within families, that he's called us uh, this way. Uh, very quickly this morning, I just want to say two things. In the Old Testament reading, we heard from Genesis about God making male and female in the image of God. And, and the, the thing I want to say from that is that women reflect the image of God. And this is to all women in the room. I know it's Mother's Day, but I wanted to say something to all of our women at New Life Downtown. I think there is, there is a, a sense in which we kind of think that, oh, in order for me to be God-like, I have to be male-like or man-like. That it's only valuable if I could do these things. But when God made the world and he made male and female, he said, they are going to uniquely reflect into the world different parts of my own image and my own nature. In fact, the part out of Genesis 2 where God says to Adam, I'm going to make you a helper. I tell you, helper has all of these negative connotations in our mind. We think of uh, you know, someone who's subordinate, someone who's less than, someone who's like the, the junior, you know, the secretary to the home. And for a lot of years, culturally, we functioned as the woman is the secretary of the home and the man is the boss, you know, um, who retires into the reading room after his day of work and all of that. And, uh, and, uh, and I, Holly and I were talking the other day, and we're like, is there any man nowadays who comes home from work and retires to the reading room? Or, I mean, don't we all kind of go straight to the dishes and, you know? Um, and if you don't, no, <laughs> tell me your secret. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but this, but this word helper, I was, I was reading in the word biblical commentary. It's a wonderful commentary series and it's, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert in Hebrew. I just want to tell you it's as simple as finding good commentaries and reading up on it. But but they were saying that this word helper is used most often in the Old Testament of God. And it's used of God to Israel. And it's not meant to show a lesser than relationship either of the one helping or of the one being helped. But see, our fallenness perverts it, doesn't it? So when someone's helping, we say, oh, well, you're less than. Or when someone's being helped, they can be made to feel patronized or condescended. And, and listen, this is how... Uh, I, I think a very pure love gets perverted. And so this thing in a woman to help, to nurture, to bring to life, and to bring to flourishing can sometimes be twisted in this way of saying, okay, well, because I'm helping you, you owe me. Never forget all the hours I did for you. know, so, Some of that stuff. Or it gets twisted to be like, well, I'm just, you know, I just do the laundry and do the stuff. And what God is saying is, no, a woman is dignified in that you are reflecting God's image into the world. That when you nurture and when you bring life into ministries, into schools, into friendships, as you do this, you know what you're doing? You're reflecting a piece of God into the world. And then the second thing I want to say is a very obvious thing, but that even the best of a mother's love points to something greater than itself. Even the best of a mother's love points to something greater than itself. What am I talking about here? I'm talking about the love within the Trinity. See, for a lot of us as Protestant evangelicals, we think about the Trinity as just a concept. And so it's just a doctrine that we've got to kind of 
memorize and be like, oh yeah, I believe in Father, Son, Holy Spirit, just Trinity, yeah, you know, can't explain it, it's a mystery, why is this even important? <laughs> Do you know why it's important? The New Testament reading said that John said, God is love. That would make no sense if, if God in His very essence and nature was relational. You see, God is not just this being, this single being that kind of says, I am love. That doesn't make sense because love involves this relationship. And so when we look at God, we see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who are in such union and communion that their very essence is love. And that is a very great mystery, but it's also a very beautiful reality. Because what the cross means for us, what Jesus said and what we heard from in the Gospel reading, Jesus says, as my Father has loved me, I have loved you. Think about what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, from all eternity past, from before there was even time, before there was Adam and Eve, before there was a world, there was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in such sweet and and, and and precious communion and union and love that we were one, we are one. And then Jesus says, you know what? Because of me, you get in on that. Imagine that. You get in on that. You get drawn into this. This is why John in his Gospel talks about us being born again. It's like we're being drawn into this life, this, this almost kind of womb of love and born again. We're born of love. The truth is, for any of us hoping to be the kind of people that love well, and what is life if we don't love well, right? But for all of us hoping to be the kind of people that love well, it just is impossible unless we are connected to the fountain of love. It's impossible. If all we do is have new techniques and new slogans and and, and better campaigns and maybe another book and maybe a motivational speaker... That's part of the reason why I appreciate Holly so much sharing this morning out of vulnerability rather than out of motivational speaking. Because you know what we need is not more inspiration and motivation. What we need is to be able to confess our brokenness and let Jesus overwhelm us with His love. And then his, as His grace abounds, all of a sudden we say, what is this love that is now inside my heart? And look, it's, I, I have this love for others and... That person was kind of an enemy, but, but now I'm, I'm starting to love this person. And all of a sudden it begins, this fountain has taken over you. So you may be here this morning dealing with a certain amount of hope, hopelessness, dealing with a certain amount of hurt, feeling the pain of saying, you know, I, I, I want to pour out this love, or I want to give this up, but I've not been able to be a parent or to be a mother or, um, for whatever reason, maybe marriage has not happened yet. Maybe um, pregnancy hasn't happened yet. And so you think about this and you say, well, I, I, I've got an extraordinary amount of pain and hurt that I'm dealing with. The invitation for you is to say this morning, as we confess our brokenness, let the grace of God overwhelm you this morning. Let the love of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the God who is within Himself, this loving being, relational being, let Him draw you into the fountain this morning. Let His love become the healing balm to our own wounds. And then for all of us who are thinking, you know, maybe moms in particular can be very hard on themselves and feeling like, well, 
I've failed, or I've fallen short, or I'm inadequate, and there's no way, I haven't done enough, and I haven't done this, and I haven't done that, and I haven't done this. To say, you know what? Right. <laughs> right, all of us have fallen short. And there's only one love strong enough to cover over a multitude of sins. And it's not your love. It's the Father's love. It's God's love. It's the love of Christ that overflows to us. So there's never a moment where you say, well, it's too late. It's, I've done, it's, it's just, I've lost it. You, you haven't lost it. This morning, I want you to know that you haven't lost it. That it's not over. You haven't faced the end of it. Maybe you're in a third sort of you know, place. You're not in the place of hurt. You're not in the place of you know, discouragement. But maybe you're just in a place of tiredness. You're saying, I don't know how to keep doing this. As a dad, as a husband, as a mom, as a, as a friend, as a single person. I just, yeah, I mean, there's, you're asking me to live in an extraordinary kind of way. And I just don't have it within me to live that way. This is the gospel moment. That is exactly the point. That you and I don't have it within us to live this way. And Jesus invites us and He says, right, but I am more than enough for you. But I am more than enough for you. The New Testament reading said, this is how we know love. Not that we have loved God. See, He's not looking for your performance of love. God, look at how good I am at loving you, at loving others, at loving everyone. I'm just love. Not that we have loved God, but that God has loved us in Christ and dealt with our sin. That's the good news, church. The good news this morning that lets healing flow in your heart, that lets grace abound to you, is coming to the table again and saying, God, I come, like I come every Sunday, with empty hands. And you fill me with yourself. You fill me with a grace that is more than enough strength for today and for tomorrow. You give me my daily bread, literally as we take it. You give me my daily bread. You are my portion. You are my source. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Would you quietly, where you are, just begin to call upon the Lord and to maybe um, to just confess quietly and to say, Lord, I, I think I have been trying on my own. I think I've been relying on my own strength. I think I believe the myth of our day that says that I should be able to. And so if I would just try harder, or if I would just... And God, I just want to confess to You that I can't. I just want to confess to You my dependence on You. Whoever You are, whatever stage of life You're in. Just quietly, just confess it to Him.